This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. We record our show in Los Angeles where the big news is not just about politics, it's about the Oscars. The newspapers here are filled with full-page ads for nominated films, and the streets are lined with billboards doing the same thing. For 2020, the nominees for Oscar for Best Director are all men. In the entire history of the Oscars, only one woman has ever won Best Director, Catherine Bigelow, for The Hurt Locker. And yet there have been lots of excellent films directed by women. For comment, we turn to John Powers. He's critic at large for Fresh Air with Terry Gross on NPR. And he's been a longtime film critic for Vogue and before that for the LA Weekly. John Powers, welcome back. Happy to be here. Well, the leading female contender in 2019 for Best Director was Greta Gerwig for directing Little Women. She didn't get nominated. How do you think Little Women compared to Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite, Sam Mendes for 1917, and Todd Phillips for Joker? Well, probably two or three of the nominees probably should have been ahead of her, in all honesty. You know, I think Scorsese's better. Bong is certainly better. I think you could have some doubts if you were really thinking about it, about the film that may actually win, which is 1917, which is the sort of long-take version of World War I where what's missing from it is history and everything. I mean, you know, to, to actually turn World War I into the coolest kind of video game-looking thing, all in one shot, which is actually made up of 77 shots, which you cut together so that every shot looks beautiful. So, you know, rather than being a, a masterpiece of staging, which is what it would take to do that, in fact, it's, it's a masterpiece of editing together cleverly. You know, probably she could have been up there. But in truth, I find it hard, partly because I'm skeptical about the Oscars to begin with as a measure of anything. So Good. starting from that premise that, it, that the Oscars are kind of BS <laughs> and that they've been wrong through history, so why, why should this year be any different? I don't think it's some sort of symptomatic point that she's not one of the nominees. You know, you might think that if two years ago she hadn't been nominated as Best Director for Lady Bird. You know, so her previous film did get her nominated. So it's not as though she's been cheated historically. And in fact, some years, maybe given the fact that women aren't allowed to make nearly as many films as men, it's not surprising that they wouldn't be up for awards. When you actually spend, let's say, the first 120 years of a medium where in huge parts of the world, there are still cultures where no woman has ever made a film. So when you start that and then you realize that probably in terms of the catchment of film history, there are a thousand films by men for every one by women and you extrapolate to now, it's quite possible that you wouldn't have one of the five nominees be a woman in a film that in other measures has done very well. It's incredibly well-reviewed. It's making lots of money. It's advanced her career. People are saying she's a better director than her husband. I mean, you know, every possible way in which the film could be a triumph for her, it has been, except for awards. Of course, we're talking here about the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and what they consider to be worthy films. It's interesting if you look at The Irishman, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 1917, Parasite and Joker. These are films that feature violence by men. Three of them are buddy pictures where the women barely exist. And there was that one Oscar winner that was directed by a woman, 
Hurt Locker, would you say that was a buddy picture about violent men? Well, it, it, well, that, that makes it seem too optimistic. I mean, it, it was about, you know, pathological men who get addicted to war. But nevertheless, I mean, it was pointed out at the time, you know, not unfairly, that isn't it interesting that the first film ever directed by a woman, if you said that a man had directed it, no one would have paused for a second and thought, really? You know, whereas if you take an example of another nominee— the Piano by Jane Campion. And, and somebody said, a man directed that. You might pause and think, really? A man directed that? You know, was he trying to make some point? Is he trying to, like, you know, woo the, woo the ladies by seeming so progressive? But in the case of Hurt Locker, what's great is that she's following the kinds of movies she likes to make. Because that's actually what you'd want women to be able to do, which is to make the movies they like and want to make, rather than have to make things about women's rights or all the things that make a lot of films by outsider groups kind of depressing, is they have to make films about how their group is being treated rather than about individual characters. And let's also note that 19 of the 20 acting nominees in the Oscars this year are white people. Jimmy Kimmel pointed out that's fewer people of color than there are in Trump's cabinet. And that, 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 that's, that's true. And in, in fact, rather than be outraged for Greta Gerwig, you know, I think that Lupita Nyong'o in Us is sensationally good. It's probably the best performance of the year. And it's interesting that she didn't get nominated by people who are an academy that's clearly worried about seeming racist and sexist. And I think that's because there are all these other agendas that go into academy thinking. One of them is that horror movies aren't awards-worthy. So Us is a horror movie. So by definition, almost no matter how good you are in a horror movie, you probably won't get a nomination for it. And I think that's what happened here because she's really great in the movie. Well, you mentioned the piano, and that takes us to the recent publication by the BBC of the results of their survey of the 100 best films directed by women. They polled 368 film experts, half men, half women, all around the world from 84 different countries. Each voter was asked to list their 10 favorite films, And what was the number one best film ever directed by a woman in the history of the world, according to the BBC poll of critics? The Piano by Jane Campion. And in fact, it seems in a way almost the natural winner, which is to say that it has all the things that would bring together a winner. It is about women's subjects and about a woman finding her expressive voice. So thematically, it's perfect. Yet it feels like a big movie movie. It also feels like an auteur movie. You don't think that this was, this was hatched up in some studio. So it's got the big grandeur of the kind of thing that would be the greatest. It's got the theme, and then it's got the individuality. Oddly enough, it's not my favorite of her films. And when I talk to critics, including you know, lots of women critics, none of them think that's her best movie or her most interesting movie. But that's often the case, is, is that people often are, are championed or like win awards for something that isn't their best work, but the thing that seems most like the best work. And that is that. And what do you consider her best, Jane Campion's best work? I think the best thing she ever did was a thing called An Angel at My Table, which I don't know if you've ever seen. It's, it's, it's a two-hour and 50-minute thing based on the, the autobiography of Janet Frame, the New Zealand writer. And it is maybe the greatest biopic ever made. It's really fascinating and interesting and offbeat and weird and all the things that Campion are. Feminist, but in, but in a kind of skewed way. Because, you know, Jane Campion is one, maybe the only director in the world 
who, when you're trying to think of who's the sexiest guy alive, would choose Harvey Keitel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and once again, that's proof of how individual she is is that lots of other people, you think like in the piano, is Holly Hunter going to be with Brad Pitt or George Clooney? No, it's Harvey Keitel because she, she likes that kind of funky thing. She likes Mickey Rourke. You know, she's drawn, drawn to a certain kind of masculinity, which I think is very interesting and individual. I would just like to add about Jane Campion, her recent miniseries, Top of the Lake, which she created, wrote, and directed. It's about a female detective in New Zealand that stars Elizabeth Moss. I thought it was wonderful, and lots of other people did, too. I did, too. It's a, it's a, it's a great series, and it brings together all of those things. And, and what's interesting about it is that it brings together all of her themes. It actually gives her room to be expansive in developing them. It lets her do her weird tonal things, because she's rather like David Lynch. One thing she shares in common is they have this really weird sense of humor and they just fold it in and they know they're being funny. Sometimes people think that people like David Lynch and, and Jane Campion don't know when they're being funny. They know when they're being funny. So they have this dark, askew sense of humor, which they then mix up with incredibly dark psychosexual material. And that TV series in two seasons does it really, really well. I mean, it's, it's probably the best thing she's done for, for quite a while. I, I talked to her at one point at, at, at Cannes when it showed and she was just saying, television's easier to do now. You know, with, with film, they, too many people don't want to give you money unless they have control over the stuff. They worry about everything. In television, you actually get to control it much more yourself now. And so it's a freer medium. Jane Campion's The Piano, the number one best film directed by a woman on the BBC poll of world critics. The female director who got the most votes was Agnes Varda, her film, Cleo from 5 to 7, was number two. That was made way back in 1962 and was only her second film. She died recently. Why do you think Agnes Varda is the most popular female director among world critics? There are a variety of reasons. You know, you start with the fact that she was part of the French New Wave. And that not only means that that gives her a certain cachet just in itself, but in fact, it means she was always an interesting and exciting filmmaker. Her first film, made in the 50s, is a kind of mixture of, of, of fiction and documentary. So she was already bending, bending form. Cleo from 5 to 7, if you've never seen it, takes place over basically the two hours, and it's actually 90 minutes in the film, the time that, that a, a, a kind of second-rate singer is wandering around Paris waiting to hear whether or not she, how her cancer test has come. And it's partly a, just a tour of Paris at its most... 1962 spectacular, which is great to see. But it's also about a woman like more or less transforming herself over the course of a film. It's a, it's a really wonderful film. But Varda was maybe among filmmakers I've met in my life the most interested in everything. You know, she made films about black power. She made, she made films about happenings. Wherever she would go, she'd be interested. I was once at a dinner where she came in and she was really upset because she'd lost the video camera that she'd been shooting stuff. And everybody said, well, what was on it? And she said, well, she'd just been talking to Sharon Stone. <laughs> you know, that, that in fact, Varda was so great because she, she just loved almost everything. When she was in LA, she always would go to the, the Simon Museum because the Norton Simon had stuff that you couldn't see anyplace else, so she would always go. There was a great story when she died that was printed in The New Yorker about her talking about how she and her husband, Jacques Demy, who was also a great director, made Umbrellas of Sherberg, how one, one time in the 60s, they went to visit Godard 
and Anna Karina in a country house where they're vacationing. And they said, well, what was that like? And she said, well, the thing is that Godard and Karina basically sat in the house all day and that she and Jacques would go out. And she said, with, with Jacques and me, when we go someplace, we wanted to do everything there is to do there. Okay, and that mentality informs her films. So there's this kind of life. So that she was actually what she she made movies for fifty years. You know, she made a good movie when she was ninety. Very few people you can say that of. That's why she won. Do you consider Cleo from Five to Seven her her best film? She made so many. I mean, I love the Gleaners, the documentary. Yeah, the the Gleaners is really good. It's you know it's, it's hard to to distinguish. And she you know she also made the film. I can't believe the Vagabond. I don't know if you ever saw that. With Sandra. my wife's favorite is yes, the Vagabond. Is, yes. No, it, you know, and they are all different in tone. But the Gleaners is that that goes back to the point I was making, which is about she's looking at at peasants gleaning in the fields and then sees herself as a kind of gleaner of experiences and ideas too. In in terms of a person who just embodies and embraces loving the world and loving cinema, that's her. Talking about women directors, we've talked about Greta Gerwig. We have talked about Agnes Varda. We have talked about Jane Campion. On that BBC list of the 100 greatest films directed by women of all in all time, is there anything else notable there that you would like to talk about here? Well, I think that, I believe it's the third film, is it? The, is it, yeah, the Jean Dielman by Chantal Ackerman, you know, is that she was probably the great so-called hard art film director of... Ever maybe in, in in and certainly among women, you know, she's in that category with people like Godard, formally inventive, slightly forbidding. Um, you know, Jean Dielman is not a lot of fun, um, but it's a great film, and we basically just follow a woman as she's making meatloaf and and you're you know and, and doing just around her house. You watch the lights from the cars going by track across the living room, and I won't give it away what happens, but ne- nevertheless, it is it's an experience of film that is radical and feminist without ever announcing that it is that. John Powers, critic at large. John, thanks for coming in today. My pleasure. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 